Good afternoon, everyone. You join us on a beautiful British bank holiday where it is completely fucking pissing down with rain, which is going to completely mess up the sound for this recording. But whatever, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm not Jesus. My name is Ben Bostock, and you are joining us again on Trade Spotting Minute by Minute. Why? And I'm joined once again by Daniel from Say the Name of Your Channel. Hi, my name is Dan. I come from uh, TYTD Reviews on YouTube, your one-stop shop for B-movies, cult oddities, and all the kind of videotapes that your video store clerk warned you about. Hello. That was very nice. That was a nice little, very very, very slick sort of way of plucking yourself there. I liked that. I liked the little radio voice going on. Um, you should do that more often. Thank I'm getting, you. I'm, uh, I'm, get, I'm getting tingles. ASMR tingles. I'm, I'm sure you need to be prepared for this, you know. Um, uh, well, this is the thing. After about four years, you gotta got to polish it down to a soundbite, otherwise people in the TikTok generation swipe right <laughs> or whatever it is they do. It's got to be... These have got to be vinyl-length only or no one will pay any attention. <laughs> <laughs> this... By, by the way, this episode's only seven seconds long, so it's already over now. Bye. Um, right. So we are obviously Trainspotting Minute by Minute. This is episode three, so I'm pretty sure you know the premise by now. We're looking at the film Trainspotting by each and every solitary minute. And the minute we're looking at today is the third minute. And it starts from when we go into the uh, Mother Superior's den for the first time. And it ends with uh, Spud and Mother Superior having a good old hearty chuckle. And I wanted to start off by talking about the very first thing you see in this minute. There's a beautiful sort of pan into our little sordid uh, den. And you see the phrase on the on the wall, Welcome to Mother Superior. Now, Mother Superior is obviously, as anyone who's seen the film, is the name of the drug dealer, played by Peter Mullen. But it's also a reference to a Beatles song. Dan, what Beatles song is it a reference to? It's a reference to the hit Beatles white album, Smasher, um, Happiness is a Warm Gun. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I kept thinking, is he going to give me like a comedy answer? It's a reference to She Loves You, which is obviously about heroin. Um, no, ha- yes, it is a, yes, you're right, it is a reference to Happiness is a Warm Gun. Um, I, I'm dent play the actual track itself, uh, because then the police, the the... the music police will come and arrest me and lock me away for crimes against copyright so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to play a version that lasts all four seconds and you're going to hear that now i don't understand why did you just play a small extract of paperback writer well, you're allowed. You're allowed to do that. I, I did very, very extensive research on this, and you can play records on podcasts if you make them completely unlistenable in in every way. Um, otherwise, the, the the blue meanies will come and get me. You see, that's why the blue meanies that work for Apple. But um, so yeah, happiness is a worn gun, which, uh, as you say, is off the White Album, specifically the part where in. It's it's a very it's a very strange song and it's evocative of the sort of songwriting that Lennon in particular was doing at the time. And I think he had about three or four different songs that he just kind of pieced together to form this. Specifically, the part where he says "Mother Superior jumped the gun," which I believe he said was a reference to uh, Yoko, who he would have just been going out with at the time. But um, it's obviously the preceding part of that song is a part where. Um, he sings the lyrics. I don't sing them again because it'll pro- it, it's legally counted as a performance. Uh, the lyrics go, I need a fix because I'm coming down. 
back to the biz that I left uptown. I need a fix because I'm going down. Which, I mean, Lennon himself was getting into the good old uh, the good old smack by that point. I think that's on public record. So, you know, it, it makes sense that the, uh, the the drug dealer in this specifically... It, later on in the film, we find out why he's called Mother Superior. But um, I think that's a nice little bit of... Um, what would you call it, Dan? Cross cross-referencing cross-cultural summit or other yeah i'd say you know the thing where you um, reference a thing in another thing um, um homage tribute um, well yeah that, that's literally what it is but i mean i'm i'm trying to think of a more fancier way of saying it to make me sound clever um symbolism Symbol- symbolic symbol symbol cross-generational symbolistic homage that is a term. Ooh. Yes, that is a term. I I coined that. No one else did. Um, when are you getting your When are you getting your masters delivered? I'm um, I'm on the phone <laughs> with them as we as we as we speak. I'm I'm multitasking. <laughs> it's very good. Um, the, law, the, the the lawyer's behind me. He's he's getting this all sorted afterwards. You know you're not getting paid for this, right? Great. Uh, so uh, yeah. So uh, what are your thoughts on sort of? Um, I don't know how familiar you are with um, with uh, I, not specifically that track, but I guess that sort of period of. The Beatles, when the material's getting just a little darker and just a little more serious and weird, or at least Lennon's yeah. material was. Um, I'll be honest with you, the White Album as a as a work is is not something that I tend to um, uh, visit particularly often. Um, right. Main reason being is that, and this is where where we've had these uh, discussions in the past is is I I appreciate. What the White Album is, I know it's supposed to be this kind of sprawling experimental album that that yeah. encompasses all different flavors and feelings and vibes. But in terms of songs that I would actually want to listen to on a day to day basis as 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 an enjoyable experience, um, honestly, I think that they could have done a single release. And I know that that defeats the entire point of the album, and I know that that completely ruins the whole point of it. And it's it's raison d'être, so to speak. <laughs> Well, that's the yeah, that's the classic sort of pub argument, isn't it? That a lot of people have of like, what would, how would you? I think George Martin would probably agree with you there. He wanted to cut it down to a single album. Mm. Um, but uh, but you, I mean, uh, without going, you don't have to give me your specifics. You probably need the fucking songs in front of you. But like, do you have an idea of, on the album of what songs that you would like? Just a rough idea of what songs you would retain, what songs you would get rid of. Um. Yeah. Sure. Um. Let me just. Bring it. I mean, obvious ones um, would probably be things like uh, "Back in the USSR." Uh, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Yes. Um, Helter Skelter. Um, I quite like Blackbird. Like- while while my guitar gently weeps. Yeah. Dear Prudence is a good one. Um, I'd still end with Revolution Nine. I think that's <laughs> brilliant. Well, that's um, that, that's the second to last track on the album. It then ends with. Um, it ends with good night, but uh, Revolution Nine would I, I, would actually be a good, good way to end it. Like, I imagine like I know that I know why it's at the end. They probably just stuck it at the end, hoping people would just ignore it. And uh, it probably got one. It probably got one listen from most fans, didn't it? And then they just never put that side on again, which is a shame because <laughs> Crybaby cries on there, which is one of my favourites. Yeah, um, I, I quite like that that sort that track though. Revolution Nine in and of itself, I I quite dig it. Yeah, but you uh, like weird stuff. Like yeah, I do experimental stuff. <laughs> Listen, I think I like that. I like that 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 um, 
that loudness, that that rawness of it. It kind Ooh. of it reminds me a little bit of um, Spectre's Wall of Sound. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. just that unrelenting kind of everything is being pushed at you in such an oppressive way. It's it's in such a, a powerful track. And of course, Spectre would obviously go on to. Uh, I don't want to make this too beatly, but yeah, obviously Spectre would go on to produce the um, subsequent album Let It Be. But um, mm. but yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying with that. Actually, like it is it is completely sensory demanding and overpowering and uh, I, get, I think that was probably the idea he said he wanted to create the sound of a revolution um, which I guess he kind of achieved I mean I, I, I like it but it's it's not something I'd put on for pleasure <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's no. quite fun to it's, it is quite fun to put in an audio editor and pick out all the little um, the little sounds across the stereo pans I like doing that I like sort of doing things like uh, you know taking off the left, the left track, and I'll listen to the right one to see what you can hear. They had a real uh, stereophonic geography, as Graham Coxon once said. Uh, he was in, he was in Blur. They are also a band. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. Obviously, I don't, I don't want to make this podcast too too uh, too beatly because I could go on for ages about that. But um, but yeah, I think that that sort of um, tone that that the opening message of this minute evokes welcome to mother superiors um it's very much um in line with that sort of thing because that song happiness is a one gun it's a it's a hard listen it sounds bonkers particularly when you go straight from the mother superior bit this dark grimy rock song and then it ends up in as a sort of a doo-wop song but it's like you were saying the white album is just this sort of strange eclectic medley of mixtures of things that's why i i never that's why i always resisted the what if it was a single album debates because i think that that Mm. would um sort of take away from what it was which is just like here is here's this big sprawling mess and you either it's here you like it i think that's why it's called because its name isn't technically the white album it's just the beatles uh, mm. People call it the White Album because of the cover, but um, I think that that's the purpose of calling it this, a self-titled thing. Is just because it's like this is this is us. This is where we're at, <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah. You know. No, I agree with that, and I, it's one of those things as well where, um, I, where I agree with you in the sense that it should really exist as its as its own kind of sprawling network. Sure. I mean, it's it's incredibly easy to be able to sort of cherry pick say you know 12 tracks out of out of this album and say right that's that's the white album the the good white album but yeah, yeah. i think that it, it very much acts as a snapshot of the band at the time they were all kind of moving in very different sort of ideas and different ways and, and yeah it's it's very it's ba- present it's basically yeah. the work of free solo artists and ringo um who <laughs> uh who were all just pulling in different directions, Lennon wanting to make weird avant-garde rock, pop, George wanting to go off and do his spiritual thing, um, Ringo just wanted to just... I think Ringo just wanted to be an actor by that point. Um, mm. So, so yeah. Um, so, moving on from that then, we move away from the Welcome to Mother Superior message and we got our first glimpse of Baby Dawn. And uh, Baby Dawn, sadly, if you've seen the film, you know that um, she's not long for this world. Um, it's it it it's quite uh, it, already at this point in the film. Even if you don't know what's coming, it's still quite a stark image because you're aware that you're in a you're in basically a a, a, a junkie den or like a heroin den, and there's a there's a happy smiling baby in there, just sort of getting on with it and just be being a baby, getting on with it. You know that, that's that's what that's what they call it, don't it? Just getting on with the basic task of being a child. And I, I am infant. This is my role. Yes, exactly, and uh, it's uh, 
that already, even before we get to the unpleasantness that's going to happen with her, which we're not going to cover for quite a little bit yet, obviously, but um, yeah, it, it's it's still quite a, a a stark image to see, and considering the baby looks quite health healthy as well, though I guess you know they couldn't they couldn't put out a casting call for an unhealthy baby. Um, <laughs> I, I was reading that they used they used twins to do all the baby stuff, so that when one, I, I guess maybe that's common practice for films. I don't know, but like, so that like when one gets bored and fed up, they can just swap the other one in. Um, yeah, yeah. I wonder what I wonder what that does that because that that baby be like a, a full grown like person now. I wonder what they do. Well, we should find them. Get them on this. Yeah, hunt them down. We'll have them uh, if they were twins. We can have them both on, and they can, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm sure it it would be a very strange like because um, it'd be like if I asked you. What was it like when you were a baby? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, was a, I, I was a baby. I woke up, I cried, I ate, I cried some more, then I went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on, you know. So but, uh, I suppose that I suppose a good question to ask at this juncture is, Ben, what is your favourite um, television or film baby? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess the. I mean, obviously, the obvious answer that I think any human being would see would obviously be uh, the great uh, popcorn classic Baby's Day Out which mm. is um, obviously in the same league as Train Spotting, very dark unpleasant film <laughs> <laughs> I'll is just that... let you know you're getting angry looks from the Muppet Babies and Maggie Simpson at this minute <laughs> just so you know is that the one where there's is that the film where there's a ghost in it or is that another one um, there's a film I know, think, I, is it Three Men and a Baby there's a film yes, where... Three Men and a Baby. I can tell you exactly that that story. Um, there's a scene in Three <laughs> Men and a Baby. This is this is my this is my this is my element. I'm in my zone here. So in Three Men and a Baby, there's a scene where if you blink and you miss it, um, uh, one of the actors walks past a hallway, and in the hallway in the bottom corner, people say that you can see the ghost of a small Vic, what looks like a small Victorian child. Um, and for years, this kind of this kind of circulated as a oh, there's a ghost in this film, and if you pause it at this point, you'll see it. Um, but then a few years later, the director actually came out and said, uh, "No, it's actually it's actually just a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson." Um, what so people thought was, Ted Danson was a Victorian child? Well, no. What they did, what was what had happened is um, the studio that they were filming on for some reason had um, like. Not to scale cardboard cutouts of the cast of Cheers. Okay. Um, and basically, whilst they were dressing the set, one of them accidentally left the Ted Danson one in that hallway corner, thinking maybe, that it would be maybe the ghost the put it there. Uh, um, but yeah, for years it circulated as a as a there's a Victorian child trapped in the film, three men and a baby trapped um, in the film. <laughs> yes, that is so fucking stupid. Are, are these the yeah. same people who say no, right? Because if, if if you watch the Wizard of Oz, right, one of the Munchkins is like hanging himself in the background, even though he blatantly isn't. <laughs> no, you see, what happened there was um, actually one of the um, one of the work hands on the set of The Wizard of Oz uh, accidentally left a not to scale cardboard cutout of Ted Danson <laughs> on. The... <laughs> Damn it! All throughout history, it's just Ted Danson's fault. Like, oh, did you know right? Did you know right? Yeah, yeah. Listen right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen right. Yeah, yeah. Listen that there is in the background of Home Alone. You can see Elvis is at Ted Danson. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just cuts to like that bit in Home Alone. Oh my God, how have we never realised this? <laughs> Every episode of Most Haunted or you know crossing over is like I'm I'm seeing a man. Oh, he God. starred in Cheers. Can you imagine what? like 
they got Derek Akora on the set of uh, Free Men and a Baby. I'm hearing a voice. What's it saying? <laughs> Ted. Who's Ted? Ted. Ted's coming this way. Go away, Ted. <laughs> He's saying Frasier's had enough. Get rid of him. Frasier's had rid enough. Of Get Ted. rid of him. But uh, but Derek, Ted Danson's not dead. Ted's coming. <laughs> <laughs> what were we doing? Oh, yeah, train spy. So, um, yes. getting into the scene proper and... Uh, now here's now here's an opportunity now for a bit of a bit of a crossover appeal between my thing and your thing because Sick Boy Ooh. is taught what Sick Boy talking about as he's skinning up his arm and Alison's arm. He's talking about James Bond, um, oh, which, which is brilliant. A, which is a thing that I've, I've kind of heard of. I know not really my thing, you know. But it's not seen any of them, mate. What what is James Bond? Um, I believe it was a series of instructional videos created by Soviet Ukraine during the 1970s, uh, the premise of which was a reprogramming campaign um, to convert all of the... Yeah, to convert all of the military operatives within the um, Soviet Ukraine army um, into uh, house husbands to help sweep the floors <laughs> of um, of Ukrainian um, freedom. So yeah, it's it's a it's a long series. It's twenty six volumes long, wow. uh, two hours a volume. But by the end of it, you'll know how to how to make food and and care for infants and all the spaces in between. I thought it was just a series of carpet cleaners, but no, you've really you've really sold me on that. Definitely. No, I'm. I'm well, yeah. We're having comedy banter time. We obviously know what James Bond is. It's a small mouse. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So I'll. So the dialogue he says, which we can unpick and give our own little thoughts on. He says, and um, again, I'm not doing a Scottish accent because I can't. Um, he says, Goldfinger's better than Doctor No. Both of them are a lot better than Diamonds Are Forever. A judgment reflected by its comparatively poor showing at the box office. In which case, of course, Thunderball is a notable success. Now, let's unpick that. Goldfinger is probably better than Doctor No. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Even though he spends half of Goldfinger locked up in a in a room. so it's Which is probably the best place for James Bond to be, <laughs> let's be completely honest. It's where he belongs, locked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Goldfinger, yeah, it probably is better than Doctor No. It's certainly louder and dafter, which makes it better hmm. in my, certainly better in my eyes. Um, and both of them are a lot better than Diamonds Are Forever. Yes, but then so are a lot of things. <laughs> um, um, I, I recall quite liking Diamonds Are Forever. I'm, yeah, I'm you would gonna... though. <laughs> yeah, I quite. There's a bit where a man gets blown up by a by a dessert. I'm quite. I'm quite partial to this film. <laughs> are you talking about the incredibly homophobic ending of it, where he gets blown up by a cake and then Bond like pull something up and it catches his balls and he goes ooh yes <laughs> which is just like <laughs> Jesus Christ you know you know we're going in with the Bond films that you're going to watch something that's maybe going to make you go a few times but uh, <laughs> you know you're not quite prepared for that I like bits of Diamonds Are Forever Charles Gray's great he fucking camps it up a storm in that. He's really good fun. I like all the bits shot around the casinos, and I like the bit where he goes to that penthouse um, in the sticks and uh, fights. Is it Bambi and Thumper? Yes, Bambi and yes. Thumper. That is good. That mainly because it's just he's just getting his head kicked in, basically. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then both of them are a lot better than Diamonds Are Forever. A judgment reflected by its comparatively poor showing at the box office. Now I looked this up, and uh, I don't know if this is quite accurate because according to Wikipedia, which we all know is completely accurate. In our ways, um, Diamonds Are Forever cost about eight to nine million dollars, and it made one hundred and sixteen million dollars. Right. That doesn't seem like that's a failure. In, that's not a failure in my book. 
Um, no, not at all. Even at, for the time, that's great. I mean, Bond films don't really bomb, do they? Well, they they, they, they might not make as much money as other entries in the series, but there's, there's never been a case where a Bond film has lost money, put it that way. I mean, the thing you've got to bear in mind, Ben, with, with this um, in particular, is that th- these are druggies. So you know, the... <laughs> yeah. But sick, sick boy is an expert. I was, I was going to, I was going to mention this as well. Actually, the fact that um, sick boy, he's, it's not so much that he's obsessed with Bond; he's obsessed with Sean Connery. Um, mm. And it, as I, I touched on this um, in the last episode, but basically in the in the book, in in the the, the book of Train Spotting, there's all these all the chapters are told from different perspectives of the characters. So Renton will narrate a chapter, and sick boy will narrate one, and Begbie will narrate one, and mm. in 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 how Sick Boy does it, he pretends that he's having a conversation with Sean Connery. So, like, for example, there's a bit where he, sh- later on, where he shoots the dog in the park. Like, he'll be describing it, and then another voice will, you'll see another voice be like, so tell me, Simon, how did you do that? Well, let me tell you, Sean. I was in the park. Like, he just pretends he's having this dialogue with him, which says a lot about um, Sick Boy's sort of character. And I think he actually says a lot about sort of... Um, one of the main ideas, one of the things I take away from the film is basically, and I think we touched on this ourselves as well, but the sort of the activities that um, people people do, specifically men in the case of this story, that men do when they're together. Like yeah. some, some blokes will look at trains and take notes about them and note them down and do that all day. Some people will talk about the works of Sean Connery and geek over it, and some people will shoot up. Like to them, mm. the whole the whole idea of shooting up and taking heroin is is not so much. It, obviously, in society, it's obviously considered far far removed from any other hobby. But to them, that that that's all it is. This is this is what we do. This is our. I, I, I hesitate to call it hobby because it's not really a hobby; it's a lifestyle. But it's um, it's that it, it that's, that's how you use the time. It. Yeah, and I think that that's the reason why that's part of the reason why they made um, Sick Boy such a sort of. Um, like a like a <laughs> Greg Turkington voice, a band head, is hmm. um is sort of like because it just goes to show that this is just this isn't a big deal for them. They've been doing this so long that ha- shooting up and taking heroin is not this exciting dark thing that we as 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 an audience would view it as. It's just something hmm. that that like me like me and you sitting here now talking about films. That's just something that loads of people do. But to them, that's what. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I get it. It's 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 the normalisation of something that would otherwise be seen as mm. um, horrific or traumatic or or questionable. So yeah. it's to them, to us as an audience who are not um, rampant drug takers or dealers or, Speak for or in that lifestyle, <laughs> <laughs> um, to view them doing that would be like oh but because they've done it for so long um it's it's just normalized it's just you know it's tuesday for them so it's tuesday for them yeah no i agree it's like um it, that's the word i was looking for as well is um is normalization so i think that's why it's like in, in a lot of other films they'll probably be very like you probably see someone shooting up or preparing to cook up heroin and they're taking it very seriously they might be concentrating a lot but because he's done it for so long he can just sit there and just um, you know, go on about Sean Connery to um, Alice and his girlfriend, who's probably not incredibly interested. <laughs> As you can see, she's more interested in, <laughs> in getting the, the needle ready. But um, mm. but you know that that that's all it is to him. It's just it's just like 
it's just like getting on a bike. It's just like getting up in the morning and splashing water on your face, isn't it? It's just the same as that. It's um, just part of life. Yeah, and going back to the Bond talk uh, briefly, um, so uh, he says that, uh, you know, a judgment reflected by its poor showing at the box office, in which case, of course, Thunderball was a notable success. And he's right there. Thunderball shite. <laughs> if you want more, if you want more of this um, brilliant Bond talk, by the way, you should go to um, a channel. I think it's called T U Y O. What's it called then? That'd be uh, T Y T Reviews. We have a show on there called the Comedy Dining Experience, where we take commentaries and 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 we do commentaries for mainstream feature films. And we're currently um, covering all of the Bond films in detail. We are rapidly approaching The Spy Who Loved Me, which is a a great Bond film, nineteen seventy seven, very good year. Roger Moore, five bags of popcorn. Um, yeah. I highly recommend you check those out if you want to get more Bond info because uh, Ben's a real Bond head. Um, That's yeah, true. Going on. Yeah, if if this if this uh, if this was uh, if, if if this was happening in real life, the, the story of Trainspotting, I'd, I'd probably be be sick boy, which isn't really good because I'm comparing myself to the the shitty manipulative asshole who later ends up by the end of the film is pimping people. and <laughs> Making drug deals, so probably best I don't compare myself to that. But you know, he does know a lot about Sean Connery. So he's got that going for him. Um, and he's right about Thunderball. It was a massive success. I was checking this. I think it had a... Which, bear in mind, this is very, very small now, but four million, four to $5 million, which was a lot of money back then for films. And it made something like $141 million at the box office. So that's gangbusters right there. <laughs> um, that's pretty good going. That's pretty good going for a film in which basically nothing happens in the third act. <laughs> It's an hour and a half of underwater fight scenes married to some rubbish CGI volcano eruptions. See, not CGI. It'd be good if it was CGI for 1965. Um, well, CS and O overlay, you know what I mean? It's that weird sort of you're thinking half of a... man painting, half computer generated effect of lava falling. It's like, it's weird. It's not, it's not digital. It's an analog colour effect. I think you're thinking of the end of um, You Only Live Twice there. Sorry, that's yeah. the one. How My how mistake. dare you? You are not wel- I... you are not welcome back next time. Oh, um, <laughs> bugger, blew me shot. <laughs> you blew your you blew it down. You blew your chance. I've just seen so much Bond, Ben. I've just seen so much. It hurts. <laughs> no, it's, it's, he's you're really not you after you're really starting to suffer now with the whole Bond thing. I can I can tell. <laughs> um, but. Um, but yeah, anyway, yes. Yeah, so getting back into into train spotting, we have um, Sick Boy giving us his opinions on Sean Connery Bond films, and then Renton's voiceover comes back in, and kind of reinforces something that we were talking about in an earlier one. Um, he says um, people think it's all about death and desperation and misery and all that shite, and that's not to be ignored. But what they forget is the sheer pleasure of it. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Which I think goes back to I know we we sort of talked about this a bit, but this idea that um, the whole the idea of the film or what Danny Boyle wanted to do was sort of show all sides of the heroin experience. So obviously there are the negatives outweigh the positives, but there are positives, and I think you have to sort of show that why people why the characters take it because people don't people don't get into heroin because they want to destroy their life or they want to lose all their money or their stuff they get into it because it feels good mm. you know it's it's just like is, yeah sorry go on. i was gonna say and this is one of the things that i think a lot of the um the sort of say no to drugs campaign type p 
people of the 80s and 90s, you know, I know mm. Reagan had to just say no and all that sort of stuff. War, a lot of it focused purely... Jokes. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of it was very heavily sort of pushed on the negatives. Um, whereas I think that if they had approached it from a, yeah, it feels good, but... Yeah, it well, probably the, would have been a bit more of an effective campaign. The problem there, when when you sort of only show the negatives, is that you sort of you end up um, you end up de- you, you end up demonising and sort of having this image in in modern culture of the junkie as this unforgivable sort of you know um, down on their luck, un- unsavable monster. And if you take heroin mm. even once, that's what you're going to be. You're going to be shunned from your friends. You're going to be shunned from society. And while that's probably true to a degree. I think it's also best to explore, like, and I think a lot of modern drug education is doing this to some degree. It's certainly better than it was in the eighties of of explaining well why people take drugs in the first place. And there's a, a myriad of reasons. And there's no one oh, clear yeah. reason, but it's it, you've got to sort of explore the realistic side of it. I think this film does a very good job of. Um, I think it's not even a subversion because it's not subverting the image. It's just being honest and saying this is what it, it's like. And they, they 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 might be junkies and they might be sort of quote unquote outcasts from society, but they're just men and women like us, and they like talking about films and they like you know um, kissing each other on the mouth like Sick Boy does to sorry like Spud does to uh, Sick Boy. In in this scene where he kisses him and Sick Boy says again, not doing a Scotch accent, where he says "fuck off, dos cunt." <laughs> I've tried to figure out what Spud says following that, and I can I can never quite make it out. It sounds like he's saying they're they're all dead, they're all dead, which uh, could be the case. But um, if anyone Scottish li- is listening, if anyone's listening, and they want to <laughs> fill me in, uh, that would be much appreciated. Send your thoughts to um, Dan's email. He'll he'll sort all that out. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, this is the thing, and I, I like the fact that it is so so real with mm. how it portrays that that kind of lifestyle and 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 that sort of um, openness. And I think in the nineties, particularly, it it really there really wasn't that kind of portrayal available. No. Um, even now, it's in you know in the mainstream, it's it's just not something that you really see. Um, it can have the negative. It's, it's, it can have the inverse effect as well because I think what happens a lot is, especially in the eighties with the whole war on drugs thing, they sort of lump all drugs together. Like for some reason, they'd have they depict every drunk, every drunk, every drug as like the most powerful hallucinogenic in the world. Like you'd see like TV spots of like kids taking like a drag on a joint, and they see like colours and visions and pixies and it all like, turns what, into are they, t- are they taking acid or, or what? I mean It it's... all turns into incense and peppermints by the strawberry alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and like anyone but what happens is they what happens is from what I've from what I've seen personally is that people will smoke a joint in college or whatever and they'll say, Oh well, this didn't kill me. They must be lying they lied to me about this. They must be lying about everything else. So that's ha- mm. and and then you you end up with people taking coke and heroin and, and acid and stuff like that and um, you know not not that I'm trying to buy into the whole um, gateway drug narrative that they try to push on people um, but I think that's the case where so much negative publicity is going to have the inverse effect it's not going to turn some people off it's going to make them want to do it more you know because they're like yeah. it's it's that rebellious thing of like fuck you man I'm going to do this yeah, no, I... what are you going to do about it you know. No, no, I agree, and I think that um, you know once they um, 
once they started that attitude of all drugs are as bad as each other yeah. i mean it's bizarre really when you consider that they advertise when they do these public information films on drug awareness they treat all drugs the same because they only yeah. really have a very narrow window to sort of broadcast what they yeah. want to tell people but then when you look even below the surface on a cursory level you see that there are you know categories of drugs there are grades of drugs and then you get into the weird murkiness that we're in now in the 21st century where over in america for example um you know a significant proportion of the states over there have now completely and totally legalized marijuana for consumption regardless of what's going on exactly um there's the shades of gray with this things like it's it's not a good idea to sort of treat drugs as as capital d drugs this big amorphous shapeless thing that you should be aware of that's uh you know, out there. I think the worst example of the sort of thing we're talking about is probably the um, the nineteen ninety special cartoon All Stars to the Rescue. You like yeah. ter- you like you like terrible things. So I'm assuming you've seen that. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, it's um, that's that's the that's one where it's like Bugs Bunny and fucking Garfield and whoever tries to get a kid off drugs. It's as good as it sounds. There's a, there's a tremendous. Um, public information film in america that came out in the late 80s early 90s it was part of a new campaign they tried launching to to connect with the youth mm. um and it was called be an original um i think i've, I think I've and, heard of this go on. and it's there's a minute long version and there's a 30 second version and both versions are on um youtube and it's just incredible because the, the message of don't take drugs gets lost horrifically in this this what can only be described as <laughs> can only be described as this really cool neon lit synth poppy music piece um that that has the uh, the slogan be an original say no to drugs but it's it's delivered in such an upbeat poppy way that it just makes doing drugs look like the coolest thing in the world <laughs> <laughs> That's that. It's that, really that, bizarre. That's what was that's what was responsible for the um, heroin infestation in Scotland in the uh, <laughs> early eighties, uh, late eighties, early nineties. That's what led to this film. Well, um, well, it comes to something when a when an advert finishes, and I, my immediate thought is, "Wow, those drugs seem really cool. That looks great. I should try some of those sometime." Mum, get me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I shall it, hold it, my breath if I'm not allowed to. Yeah, and I think that like. It, what, what this all goes to show is that I think that you can do a much better job if you really want to get people off drugs or if you want to sort of make, make people aware of them. I think that just being honest about it is is just the best way to go because I think that people would respect that more, especially younger kids and teenagers because teenagers are fed so much bullshit by, you know, the, by their parents, by school, by college, about a myriad of things, but a lot about mm. drugs. And I think if, if you just said to them, like... Um, the equivalent of this film, which is basically saying to them, look, you know, heroin feels good when you try it. You might like it, but you will probably um, lose your friends. You will become very insulated. And it's just not a good idea, so don't do it. Like, yeah. like, like, I imagine, like, just, just, just saying... You can you could say that about other things, like, um, you know, if you just say, like, yeah, sure, weed, weed is fine, it feels good. But... It's like anything. If you do too much of it, it's bad. <laughs> so don't do too much. That's why it's called too much. You know, it's it's actually kind of bizarre because thinking about it, um, at least for the last five years, I can't recall 
seeing any kind of anti-drug or anti-alcohol or you know even the the sort of think campaign over here is is wound down i can't i couldn't tell you the last time i saw a new think advert yeah um, I, I think i think they're just on i think they're all online now i don't think you, i don't think you'll see them on telly um, no, but you'd, you'd think there'd even be like promotional videos still. It'd still be going. But well, the central honestly, office, of, I... the central office of information has, has has been wound down. So they they were the ones who used to actually commission all the sort of the think stuff, the fire kill stuff. But now, excuse me, all that stuff has been sort of divided into sort of departments and sub departments and sub sub departments. Basically, as part of this current government's plan to not spend any money on anything at all ever. Um, and they've basically just sort of divided everything down and downsized everything to the point where there is no central office of information. And the department that deals with all the think stuff and the public awareness stuff has just been so downsized and stripped bare and had its budget cut that it it still technically exists, but it might as well not. You know what I mean? It's just like in-name only kind of thing. And I think yeah, I think, yeah. think is technically still going, but like, a, like you were saying, they're just... There's not the sort of... Uh, uh, the bombardment that we were, we were used to as kids. Um, no, this is the thing. I, I used to remember quite distinctly seeing you know public information films about drugs and alcohol and, and driving safely and all that kind of stuff all the time on television growing up. But yeah. like, like I say, for the last five years or so, I'd say I've, I've not seen a single thing, not even print you know based stuff no. um which is a bit of a shame really because as as you know as you're well aware you know both of us together have got quite a an affinity for you know the coi and but public information films in general and all that anti-drug stuff sure. we, but like we I, do I, that all the time but i, I can also i i i'm quite interested in them in a sort of geeky way but i can see why the wrong kind of ones particularly the american ones which i know i know it's a bit of a strange point to talk about because the characters in this film obviously would not have seen all those american partnership for a drug-free america spots that are so famous now you know the mm. one with the fried egg where the guy sounds like he's pissed while he's doing the fucking advert oh this this is your brain this is, this is your brain on drugs that's it that's your brain. egg brain <laughs> Drugs, <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the one with the guy turn who turns into like a snake monster. You know what uh, I mean? And there's the the one where um, the guy jumps off the swimming pool diving board and the pool's empty. That's not a bad one, um, but uh, but yeah, I, they they probably did more. They probably did far more harm than good in a way. I, I just don't think it's a good idea to 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 demonize people. I think this film does it in exactly the right way it just it just shows you obviously it's a film so it's not a documentary so it can't be it's not a 100 percent realistic adaptation but um i imagine you know danny boyle would have done a, and uh, john hodge the writer would have done a ton of a lot of research and obviously they had the i talked about these guys uh, on the last one the carlton mm. athletic drug group who were the football team who were playing in the previous scene and uh, they would have talked him through and sort of gone over what was what and you know how, how it really is as opposed to the sort of uh, I don't want to use the word proper propaganda might be too strong a word maybe too heavy mm. but that similar kind of thing of just feeding people this constant negative idea that's only gonna when you tell someone not to do something most people's first impulse is oh cool why is it, is it good is that why we can't do it then I want to do it <laughs> you know <laughs> and before we uh and before we close out today I'd just like to have a uh 
another a mention of Peter Mullen, who plays Mother Superior, the drug dealer. He gets the last line in this minute where he says, Pure as the driven snow, that shit, to Spud. And then they both have a good little laugh about it. Um, Peter Mullen's great. He's uh, One thing I like him in is um, there's a film called Tyrannosaur. Do you remember that, Dad? I think we watched that in uni. I remember that film very clearly. It stars yeah. Olivia Colman. Um, yeah. And uh, there's also... Who else worked with it? Was somebody who worked on This Is England worked on it as well? Well, I think it was directed. Um, it was directed by Paddy Considine. Ah, but, that'll uh, be it. I think, I think Shane Meadows. I think Shane Meadows was involved. Maybe he produced it. Um, hmm. Probably should have checked before I did this. Oh well. Um, <laughs> that's the level. Say, <laughs> Levy. That's the level of research. But yeah, he's he's great in this, and he sort of he he's not in it a lot. He sort of pops up in um, in little odd moments, and he gets his little time to shine. Uh, mainly in this first part of the film, when when we're sort of when they're more into the uh, the heavier style. I wanted to talk actually about a um, he was originally in it more. There's a delete. There was a whole back. There was a whole subplot of his that got deleted. So basically, uh, later on in the film, after Renton has properly come off the the skag after his sort of overdose, and he goes to see mm. um, a mother superior in hospital who's had his leg amputated, and uh, basically from shooting up too much in it and he talks about how he's gonna sort of he's gonna make a name for himself he's gonna get off skag he's gonna stop dealing he's gonna emigrate and he's gonna you know do something with his life and then later Mm. on when they're in london we see uh actually no when they're sorry no when they're setting off for london sorry at the coach station this is another deleted scene we see renton give a some change to a beggar and then the beggar looks up and it's mother superior like he's just he's he's just ended up on, on the streets, so it's it, it's a bit of a shame that that they uh, they cut that, but I can kind of see why. I guess maybe they felt the film was maybe getting a bit too long by that point, or maybe by that point they just wanted to sort of get to the the ending, as it were, because we'll win the third act by that point. But um, yeah. but yeah, so um, so do you have anything else to add about this little uh, this little chunk of cinema? I'm frankly astounded that we've managed to do 42 minutes. Um, on a, a minute of train spotting that features a character called the Mother Superior, and we haven't discussed Catholicism because that. Um... <laughs> well, if you, go ahead if you want to talk about that. I mean, I, 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 well, wasn't, I wasn't actually thinking about that angle, but that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, it's just it's something that I know that that you very much have an affinity towards. Um, Catholicism has re- played a uh, no, not really. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I I was I was brought up in a um, in a religious school. But it was the kind of by the time we were in school, it was the sort of like Tony Blair version of religion, where it wasn't like sort of nuns whacking you on the hands with rulers. It was more like um, it was more talking about God in a sort of um, like a. It was more like a youth club than a church, you know. Mm. It's like, hey, let's get together and talk about things. <laughs> put down your Groovy. put down your walkmans, kids. Have we got a story for you? It's all about this cool Pull guy out. called Moses. <laughs> Pull out your illustrated Bibles, ladies and gents. This is going to be a fun one. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's. I, I meant more specifically, like around the fact that a lot of your, at least um, during during our time together when we were in university um, together, a lot of your time was was spent um, looking into Catholicism as an idea. I mean, for example, you uh, we had a short film that we we worked on together, um, mm. which featured a, a very heavily uh, Catholic. Um, subject and um, you know we both have a mutual affinity for um, the work of Arthur Matthews Father Ted Um, we um, both have 
um, some experience of of the Catholic Church. So, for example, you know, my dad um, is a it was a, an out and out Catholic until he met yeah. my mum, and then he, he converted to 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 uh, become a Protestant. Um, and some of the horror stories that you hear from you know Catholic schools in the the seventies and eighties um, are just astounding you know the idea that 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 went on in the 70s is mind-blowing and if you know if anything like that happened in the modern day it'd be front page news you know it's it's, it's quite sort of i guess i mean like the um religion is not isn't really a theme that the film touches on really it doesn't go into depth on at least but i can see how they later on in the in the film probably in the next couple of minutes actually they um, renton in voiceover tells us that they call him mother superior because of the length of his habit which mm. um, is a good pun, <laughs> but it's also but but there's but there's also that sense of like that it's not as if they it's not like the drug the drug dealer is like their their leader or their boss or they worship him or anything, but they have to defer to him because without him they they don't have gear without gear they're fucked. So I guess it sort of yeah. goes back into that idea of like the the mother superior figure as someone to to look up to and aspire. It's almost like, you can almost say that their relationship um with the with the dealer is sort of a weird almost like a weird sort of parody of that idea of the the religious folk who look up to the priest or the nun or the vicar or you know the whoever you know it is it's sort of there's always that image to look up to and uh you know well i mean i I was going to say as well, I mean, year one film student here, but uh, I suppose you could draw comparisons to, you know, the idea of um, using the the Mother Superior as a deity figure in regards to, you know, he is the person who gives you the feel good. He's the person who makes you feel, uh, like, makes your problems go away. And in a similar parallel, you could argue that, that Christianity follows a similar route in the sense of there is that figurehead who releases the serotonin yeah, for, uh, and he's know. one of the, and he's and he's not like a sort of mother superior in this film. He's not he's not sort of like a, a a mean figure or an authoritative figure. He's one of the gang. He's one of the lads. Like later on, mm. jump jumping ahead quite a bit now, but later on when uh, when Renton goes to buy the heroin that he will eventually overdose on, and they have this, he has this sort of very sort of witty back and forth where it's like uh, your usual table, sir. Oh yes, please. Uh, would sir like some <laughs> garlic bread, perhaps to start? No, thank you. I will skip straight to the intravenous injection of hard drugs, please. Like so, <laughs> they obviously go back a bit, but and it's not like yeah. a sort of um, which which again, I guess, goes back into that thing we we're talking about of how this film subverts that traditional cinematic idea of the junkie. It's not Christian F, is what I'm saying. It's not uh, yeah. it's not Requiem for a Dream. I know that film came later, but you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like the dealer is not this this terrifying figure who they're all afraid of and they all have to defer to and and get on the knee for you know he's 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 one of them in a sense he's he shoots up as much as they do which again is often is often the case you know um it's not like going back to the pif for a moment there's one i saw um i'll link i'll link to it in the video for all you cool cats to go watch but it's like uh it's like it's for crack and it's like this woman in a car and she's like please i need i need something i need i need something and the guy's like no you gotta you gotta do something for me you gotta bring your bring your little girl to my house we'll have a good time and then i'll get you some crack and it's like i imagine that there are obviously that that probably are relationships in life like that but from 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 my experience and not my experience taking heroin because i haven't taken heroin but from 
from what I've known from people who have and from um, people I've known who've been associated with drug dealers, the, 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 the dealer is one of you. He's one of the lads. He's just doing. Mm. He's just. He's just making a bit of money. If he can make money, you know, working at McDonald's or working in an office, or if he can make money selling heroin, that's what he'll do. You know, it's not like yeah. some. It's not like some some calling, which I guess is um, goes back to what you're saying about the um, the religious, the slightly religious connotation of that, and that maybe that maybe that's one way to look at it as a kind of weird parody of of the congregation almost of the ritual yeah. again religion is a is a ritual we're talking about the rituals that people do when they're together and religion definitely plays into that that's been an, a, a literally an age-old ritual um and i guess you could and take getting together in a in a sort of um you know dilapidated building or squatting and doing heroin is in a way its own form of religion Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you took one step back, and if you if it wasn't for the the thousands of years of normalisation of people saying, well, yeah, there is a magic man in the sky, or there are magical deities who have different powers that will instill virtue on you if you worship them. If if you yeah. removed the the thousands of years of normalisation that that has had, and, and and say an alien race landed, and and you told them that that was what would happen, they'd think you were bloody mental. <laughs> you were mad. And uh, and yet, you know, most people would think. Would say about junkies oh you're all men- you're all mental you're all you're all getting together and putting shit in your veins that's gonna make you ill and kill you uh but yeah. it's not mental to them just like how if, if you were to say to someone oh you're mental for going in a building every week and talking to a magic man in the sky but to them it's not mental so no, yeah they think it's perfectly justified it's that normalization again and we normalization we circle good word <laughs> here, here end of the lesson <laughs> here end of the sermon for. for this week <laughs> Go forth. Be on your way. Be go forth and spread good. Go forth and fuck (laughs) off.